Previously on Funny Science Fiction. <laughs> I'm okay. Your thoughts betray her now, too. And if you won't join the dark side, cow, perhaps she will. I'm okay. Tim's just going to bounce and giggle over there for a little bit. <laughs> Hi, this is Josh Pruitt, and you're listening to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast that reminds you that there's a very thin line between insanity and genius, but here it's definitely drawn in crayon. All right, so our guest today is the very first to make a return trip to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. By the way, we're calling this episode Pruitt Part Du Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) I like that even better than Josh Pruitt 2.0. There you go. Yeah, so Josh Pruitt, by the way, if you guys haven't, uh, if you're not familiar with Josh, he's the only human on Earth to have written for Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Doctor Who. He's a primetime Emmy and Annie Award-nominated TV writer, author, and storyboard artist with work on shows that I guarantee you know and have watched, like Phineas and Ferb, Milo Murphy's Law. Uh, he's got a show upcoming called Hamster and Gretel. These are all uh, Dan Povenmire projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I'm sure you're familiar with those as well. And like we mentioned, there's Mystery Science Theater, 3000, Doctor Who. There's so many more. Just go check out his IMDb. But with all that being said, we are ecstatic to welcome back Josh Pruitt, to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Thank Howdy. you, everybody. We still can't believe you said yes again. No, yeah. So. You said yes again, and I'm still here somehow. This is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, I'm not replacing anybody, I don't think. No. I think this no. is like Kathleen's anniversary, too. Like It is. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 You, were, you were my second interview, and it That's was awesome. the... Kathleen's back after the Dan Pavenmeyer episode with the... She still hasn't completely lost her mind. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Here we are a year later. How, so, how long ago, so that was a that was a year ago. That was a year ago. Yeah. Okay. So so that means I did not have this. <gasps> no, you did, you did not, not have that. So so nice. now I'm Emmy winning. Emmy uh-huh. winning. I missed that. That's fantastic. Hey, congratulations. So yeah, we won uh, for Candace Against the Universe. We won. Uh, That's fantastic, a, a, a dude. Emmy Award. Which is an, it's completely insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's that fantastic. So, cool. so congratulations. That was, so that was in the summertime. Yeah. So yeah, that was so it has been like a year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like absolutely. Year. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you were Emmy nominated still when you were here last. I time. was Emmy nominated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I missed that you won the Emmy. That's fantastic. So that, yeah. Sometimes I like being wrong and be, and being shown where I was wrong. That <laughs> this is one of those instances where I'm like I'm like I yeah. Was gonna, awesome. I was going to interrupt you and I was like no 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 I want to show it to them. I want. Yeah. Don't let your wife know that you like being told that you're wrong though, Tim. <laughs> she doesn't listen yes. to the show. It's It'll fine. never stop. He's it's not fine. wrong. <laughs> Look, I can't convince my family and friends to watch the show. I have to convince other people. Uh, <laughs> You convinced at right. least one of your friends to be on the show instead of watching it. So does that work? I think that counts. It totally that counts. counts. Yeah. Totally counts. I brought in a few viewers, so I think it balanced it out a little bit. It works. All right. So I wanted to make sure that because I am brand new to the Doctor Who landscape, uh, literally today, we were talking about this pre-show, uh, but I wanted to make sure that Nick and Kathleen didn't get all the Doctor Who questions. So I, ha- I wanted to make sure I got this one in. Now, the last time you're here, we talked about uh, your time working on Mystery Science Theater 3000 and what that meant to you because of being a lifelong fan of that show and how excited you were to work on that. But for those who aren't familiar with you, you're also a massive Whovian. You're a huge Who fan. And um, if you follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is actually at ZombieTardis. Okay, Mm -hmm. so to kind of give you an idea of, of what we're talking about here. So my question is for you. We know what it was like for you to be a writer with uh in, with mystery science yes but what yes. was it like for you to be able to write about doctor who and be able to add your voice to that universe i it, i like in both cases it's you know makes me speechless but i i think in in doctor who specifically it's like at this point we're talking about something with a 60 year history Mm-hmm. And and not only that, but is primarily written by people who are not born here. It, it is a <laughs> it is a chiefly and uh, successfully, you know, uh, a British export. Right. And and part of its identity is that it is it is something that is you know English, and um, f- for me, it's it's like a it's a legacy thing. Like like part of 
I mean, yeah, I, 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 there's a story I want to share and we'll come to it, but uh, about the day I got to actually listen to some in on some of the recording, which okay. was like a dream come true. Um, and I ended up writing like a journal entry all about it, but, uh, and I want to share that with y'all, but, but like it, it was like kind of flabbergasting. Like when, when I, uh, the, the short version is that um, I'd been following a lot of the uh, Doctor Who talent on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And um, for those who don't know, like uh, Doctor Who, not only as a TV series, but as, uh, you know, this giant uh, property has years of comic books, um, novels, novelizations, original novels, um, and audiobooks, uh, chief among them produced by the BBC and also a company called Big Finish. And they started out essentially as a fan company. And there's like two or three of them. And they were doing, you know, essentially the equivalent of a fan podcast, fan audiobooks. Mm -hmm. And that kind of built from there. And, and, and they produced a number of very professional sounding productions. And then BBC at the time, which was kind of fallow with Doctor Who content, uh, gave them the license. I don't imagine it was easy in any way, but they had kind of big finish had proven themselves at this point. Um, this is David Haig Ellery and Nicholas Briggs uh, in, back in the early days, I think Gary Russell as well. Um, and uh, so they started producing original Doctor Who stories with some of the classic doctors. And this was at a time when the show had already been off the air and they didn't think that Doctor Who was ever coming back. And so what Big Finish ended up doing with a very high caliber of writing talent is that they really kept it alive. And not just from a brand standpoint, but like amazing stories to the point where there are quite a few uh, in the Russell T Davies era that are directly inspired by some of the Big Finish productions. Um, and so as a fan, so I, you know, I started watching, I was a kid. My first memory is I was visiting my dad in New York. There was a Tom Baker episode on KPBS and I had no idea what the heck was going on, but literally had that Dr. Who fan experience of like hiding behind the couch. <laughs> and in my head, I keep it's it's either Ark in Space or Seed of Doom, Seeds of Doom. And I can't I don't know which because I think I, they merged in my memory banks. But, the, you know, there was definitely some body horror happening and it could it, it could have been like, uh, you know, bubble wrap that's in Ark in Space that's covering for somebody metamorphizing mm -hmm. into a giant bug. Um, but then there was also a, a guy in a tub who was transforming, which I think is in Seeds of Doom. So one or both of those scared the heck out of me as an eight-year-old, and I hid behind the couch. And I didn't find out until much later that that's very much a rite of passage for Doctor Who fans. And to the point where there are a couple of critical analyses books out there that are actually called like, you know, behind the couch or hiding behind the couch. Oh, that's um, cool. But, but there's a long way around of me saying, you know, there is when you kind of get into the show as a fan there are thousands of stories out there depending on your media of choice and the beauty part is i don't know that i could ever read or collect all of them which is great so it gives me a wonderful hobby for the rest of my life mm -hmm. um but also i was like wow how amazing would it be to write one of these yeah. And so what I did was I, I ended up I was following a lot of these writers who were writing novels and the audios and just trying to learn how to do it. And I ended up um, following Big Finish and I, I was buying a lot of their material. It was amazing. Um, and uh, submitted to three or four of their open calls for writers. They have a couple of different competitions mm -hmm. that they run. Uh, got rejected from all of them, but um, ended up uh, I got one email saying that they really liked the story. So there was a little glimmer of hope. Um, and then what happened was I ended up following uh, a woman named Jacqueline Rayner, who's a hugely talented writer. And she's, uh, she's been writing Doctor Who material for over 20 years at this point. 
She wrote a really great no uh, original novel called Stone Rose, featuring the 10th Doctor in Rose. This was for BBC Books. Um, but she'd been working for Big Finish for years. And when I found her Twitter handle, her icon was Vanessa from Phineas and Ferb. And this is obviously, this is, you know, after I've been on Phineas, gone, went and gone on Phineas and Ferb. And so then we kind of started like a mutual admiration society. And uh, she was just a peach to get to know, even digitally. And, you know, I'm one of these people who's really benefited from Twitter. And, and I, 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 I very much focus on all the benefits and the wonderful people I've met. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when the time came, uh, uh, you know, different opportunities will come up. Uh, in the Doctor Who space, and I a couple times I asked Jack for a recommendation, and she was kind enough to pass my name on, and nothing really came of it until um, over a year ago. Now uh, I got an email, a direct message uh, from her saying that she had been hired to produce a brand new series of six Doctor adventures. So this is Colin Baker, um, who she'd written for years. And so she was in charge of kind of launching a new line of Sixth Baker, Sixth, Sixth Doctor stories. And she asked if I would be willing to write an episode. And I kid you not, I cried. So I was on my walk uh, in the morning and mm -hmm. just checking my email and saw her email and started crying my way home. Um, <laughs> nice. So it's a that's long awesome. way of me saying like, that's how I felt about it is that it was like, I love it. I was moved by it. It was absolutely amazing. And I was like, I wrote it back right away. I was like, I don't care what the money is. It doesn't matter. Like whatever you want. Um, yeah. And then yeah. went from there and we can get into the details, but yeah, it, yeah. it was, it was, it felt like a, another life changing moment. So well, realization that... of a lifelong dream, really? Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. And that actually leads perfectly into my question because I was going to ask you about it being a sixth doctor adventure, writing for yeah. a doctor who in all in our reality has come and gone. Yes. That you kind of have your own sort of sci-fi feel to it, just in the you're writing for a character that doesn't exist anymore. Right. But always exists because yes. that's how sci-fi works. Totally. So I just wanted to I wanted to know more about like the story itself and where people can sure. find it and Please, you said that you have a journal entry that you want to share with us. Like, tell us more about this project because that is a once in a lifetime childhood dream come true. Amazing, amazing opportunity. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, so so, uh, so let's get into the general stuff and then I'll talk about that day. So, yeah. so essentially the way it works and luckily with my uh, TV writing experience, it was something that I didn't feel super intimidated by, thank goodness. So I felt like when the opportunity came, it was one of these things where it's like, oh, I'm ready. Like I write for a living. I know how to do this. I can generate ideas. So the way it worked was they set up for me that I was going to be in the first box set and it was going to feature a brand new companion who her name is uh, Hebe Harrison, mm -hmm. who is the first wheelchair user companion in the history of Doctor Who. Oh, um, Jack cool. is actually a wheelchair user herself. And so she wanted to make sure that this was handled uh, in, in the right way and that we, uh, you know, build a character who's not defined by that, but it is part of who she is. Sure. Um, and um, so the, the big idea ended up being, you know, this is, this is her first box set. So Jack is going to be writing her introductory episode where she meets the doctor for the first time. So your rose shaped episode, mm -hmm. let's say. And then Jonathan Morris was gonna come in another uh, amazing writer. Like I'm literally sandwiched between 50 years of Doctor Who experience and they are some of the best of the best. And so I felt like I was like the crappy hamburger. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> like, like a little half-baked, like maybe <laughs> go back on the barbecue like a little bit. Um, but Jack was going to kind of like serve us up. And then Jonathan on, on the back end was going to kind of deliver this, this much more epic finale that was going to tee up what's coming. And Jack had kind of a big plan. And so she, she came to me and said, okay, Josh, this is the first off-world adventure for this companion. And I was like over the moon. 
and <laughs> pun intended. And I ended up, uh, I ended up pitching like seven ideas to her and uh, script editor Robert Valentine. And uh, Rob has been with Big Finish for some time. He also has written a lot of other work in audio. Um, um, and uh, he gave me some of the best notes of my career, by the way. Working with him was great. One uh, For Doctor Who fans out there, one of my favorite notes is I did have a moment in my story where um, the cloister bell went off. And the cloister bell in the show is something in the TARDIS that kind of signals that things are really bad, like very, very bad. And, and it's used, uh, you know, uh, sparingly in the series in the classic and modern series. But uh, I had uh, my TARDIS crashing and I was like, oh, fun. I get to use the cloister bell. <laughs> and, and one of Rob's first notes was like, uh, hold on to it. You, you, you know, dude, let, hold on to that cloister bell and, and you can use it maybe down the road if you do another story. And I was like, okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but it was, it was uh, I, I, I felt like if I was going to write a Doctor Who story, I didn't know if I was ever going to have the chance to do it again. And I, I thought, I want to say everything I feel about Doctor Who and, and the Doctor and, and put it and give it to the Sixth Doctor. So I pitched like totally wild stories, you know, Jack's um, kind of her premise that she wanted me to, it's like weird, wild, funny, crazy. So that after her tee up, it's like I deliver then on the big wild adventure. Um, and they narrowed it down to kind of two, two and a half, three choices. We combined one of them. Um, and then another one, they kind of earmarked, I came up with a cool idea for a villain, hopefully that within two or three years, if I get to do this again, I will come back and we will talk about that villain. Um, and then, uh, but the one they landed on was an idea I pitched about the moon where uh, TARDIS crew gets shipwrecked uh, on the moon, but like three or 4 billion years in the past. And the moon is covered by an ocean. Mm. And they meet really fun, interesting uh, creatures there and plenty of monsters and a catastrophe that they have to deal with. Um, so that was the initial process. So that, that was how we got started. That's that, cool. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Um, go, go ahead. Yeah. Yep. So I'm just, I, I'm still sitting here with the, you got to write for Doctor Who. Like, right? Yes. So you said you had a journal entry that you wanted to share? Yeah. So so in so uh, the next thing that happened was we had to do a number of passes. We built the story. And then um, I essentially wrote double what I needed to. So I was learning as I was going. Um, but um, by the time we got it to length, it ended up being around 80 some odd pages. And so it's like 240 page chunks. Um, I really wanted to... I really wanted to have the chance. Um, let me see if I can find this for you guys really quick. Um, I really wanted to have the chance to listen in uh, to the record. And I ended up asking Rob and he kind of shared with me that, you know, he, he only very rarely had the chance to do that. So I was like, oh, okay, no big deal, no big deal. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna take this for what it is. It's an amazing experience. I can't wait to hear, you know, what they do with it, right? So I was trying to, I was focused on the positive, you guys, right? Mm -hmm, right. So, um, so what I, uh, at the last minute, I found out, and this was, this was like June of last year, okay? Just to give y'all from some context. Um, and at the last minute, my wife was like, I heard that they were recording. And my wife was like, why don't you email Jack? Just, you know, ask her if you can sit in on Zoom. And obviously we're still in the pandemic. So, mm -hmm. you know, I knew nobody was really going into the studio. Everything was going to be Zoom anyway. Um, and so Amanda's like, just write or just write. I'm like, okay, okay. Now remember, everything's eight hours ahead, right? right. So they are, they are all, you know, the night before I'm going, okay, well, whatever, worth a shot. So I write her and then I go to sleep. And when I get back up, I've got emails from Jack saying, you're going to get a link from the editor 
where are you? Where are you? And she's like, tweet, she's tweeting at me. She's texting me. She's emailing <laughs> me. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And it's like, it's the end of their record day. And like they're literally wrapping up. They're literally on the last, you know, four or five scenes. And the way they do this, like, these, I mean, like so much respect for these actors. Like they come in and they are, they are like studio musicians who show up expertly play what they need to do and get in get out make incredible choices and then they're done and so they've been recording all day long um and she's like come in come in come in so i follow the link i like i put clothes on it's not going to be on video but i'm like okay i have to at least get dressed if i'm gonna you know if i'm gonna meet the sixth doctor um so so this is what happens so i want to i want to walk you guys through this so um so just to have a record of how nuts today was, Jack had told me that they were going to record Tuesday in the UK for my episode. I had asked Rob before about whether or not they allowed people to sit in, and he said he'd ask, but he hadn't heard anything in the past. He suggested that they didn't usually even include him, so it didn't sound like it was going to go down. I was pretty resigned to it, and that was cool, and it was okay, and so I was just excited about the day. And so have been annoying Amanda and the kids about it all week long and just being excited. So I literally, we were in the van and I was like, they were going to record my Doctor Who today. They're going to record my Doctor <laughs> Who today. Uh, so this morning when I was bugging Amanda about it, it occurred to me that maybe if they were doing it on Zoom, I could just ask Jack if she could take a photo or something. Just so I had like a, rec a record of this thing happening today. And then I kind of changed my mind and decided not to email or bother her about it. But Amanda, my wife, who is the best, because she's the best was like honey just send the email just you know it doesn't hurt to ask so then i email her and five minutes later she's emailing me on facebook and twitter and gmail telling me that the engineer is going to send me a link to sit in on the record which is totally mind-blowing so i get her text and i'm just like barely getting dressed like it was some 80s movie and i'm suddenly late to some really important event so i throw on some clothes <laughs> i set up my computer i click the link and right away i can hear colin baker and the other actors reading and performing my scene it was totally nuts so i'm just sitting there being quiet and just hearing them do what they do and they're all so professional and so good at their jobs that they only do you know two takes because the stuff sounds really good like the actors are making wonderful choices and at this point in the record are totally comfortable in their characters after six or eight hours but i can hear bonnie langford being mel and i can hear ruth madeley being hebe and it's mind-blowing and then it gets better. So then I hear either Jack or Helen Goldwyn, who is our amazing director, say, oh, we've got Josh the writer with us. And I'm fumbling with the technology and they can't hear me at first, but everyone's all pumped about me being there. Crazy surprise. And I hear somebody throw out, you know, me being a Phineas writer and how jazz they all were about that, which is also mind blowing in and of itself but I'm talking to the doctor and Mel for real. And they've just spent the day recording my script and they're very complimentary and enthusiastic. And I can't really say much more than how excited I am and how it's a dream come true. And then Jack chimes in and mentions how I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. And they ask, so is this your first Doctor Who script? And I said, yes, it's my first. And Jack says, I'm a huge fan and they ask, you know, how I got involved with Doctor Who. And I, I said that I pretty much stalked Jack on Twitter and everybody <laughs> laughed. And somebody said, maybe that was a little too much information. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I elaborated, but everyone was very warm and friendly and just amazing. And then Jack says I should sit in and listen to the record. And this is the thing that I thought I wasn't going to get to do, but here I am. I'm listening to these actors I've watched on television read and record my script and initially i'm bummed because we were so late in the story so like in the last two or three scenes and some of those moments are my favorites um once our characters have saved the day and i'm still kind of marveling at the actor's choices and between moments colin is being very complimentary of my work and bonnie sparkles as mel so vibrant and pitch perfect and andrew james spooner is crackling as clutch father um, and Colin is in top form, restrained, but commanding and knows exactly what he's doing. And Ruth is so human and present and real. 
And Sam Stafford as uh, Wolk, he's like one of our friendly aliens, is goofy and awkward. And Verge uh, Gilchrist as Helios is spot on. The weight of the world on her shoulders with just a hint of joy and imagination. I am blown over. Then as they're organizing what actor needs to do what in the next scene, in between each scene, uh, Sam, the actor who's playing Wolk, is thrilled because, spoilers, and I'll come back to this. Um, <laughs> uh, spoilers. And uh, Colin mentions me by name um, and advocates for me in the middle of this conversation is very complimentary. And the doctor is making space for me and making me feel a part of the process. And I'm trying to catch all this as I remember because I don't want to forget this for the rest of my life. So then Sam, the actor, mentions how he's a huge Milo Murphy fan, which is also completely crazy. And I finally get to the part where the doctor and Helios say goodbye to one another in the story. And it's one of my favorite moments from the script. And they just absolutely nail it. And one of the other actors, Sam, I think comments on what a touching scene it is. And it just feels really amazing. And then they get to the end and Jack and Helen are trying to organize doing the short interviews as part of the normal behind the scenes. And as they do, Colin advocates for me again, the doctor standing up for me, the doctor. And he says, hey, make sure you record the writer. Make sure you record Josh while he's here for the behind the scenes. And I laugh and tell him thanks. So that was that, that is, day. That is so awesome. <laughs> that is the coolest. That's fantastic. And I, and I like kind of wrote it like stream of consciousness right after it happened because I was like, I'm not going to retain all of this no no like you know it's not it's not gonna happen um i'm honestly surprised you got as many details into that journal entry as you did because okay. now i i just mean if it were me and i and I, you know if i was able to to sit down and uh you know if i was ever able i'm not a writer but if i was ever ever a writer and i was able to write something for star wars and you know, yes, Mark yes, Hamill yes. and, and Mark Hamill's, yes. yeah, Mark Hamill's in there telling you, know, oh, you're doing such a great job, and you know, make sure he's involved. I'd been just like, I, I would be like, you know, melted goo goo brain, just done, you know. <laughs> totally, um, totally. Yeah, so I'm impressed that you got as many details as you did because I would have been like, met Mark Hamill, he was nice, <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's, and I think that's part of why I did it too, was because I, I didn't want to forget. Like I like it because yeah. it really like all of it was surprising and wonderful. And, you know, the fact that they knew apparently uh, Jack had set up Jack and Helen had set up the the session saying just giving people an introduction of who I was. And apparently and, and some of them have kids and grandkids. And and I think Sam had like grown up watching the show. So like they knew the material, but they were all jazzed about that. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm jazzed forever that, that, you know, I had the chance to work on that show. But again, it's like Doctor Who is a 60 year old, like megalithic worldwide phenomenon. Right. And I'm like, like, I, anyway, it was just, it was, and, and, and like, I never met any of these people, obviously, like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know any of them. And I've only ever heard wonderful things about Colin and mm -hmm. he was, he was extraordinary. And I think that's, and that's why I kind of tried to capture that moment is because it's like, even in those moments, it's like Colin was being the doctor, like, and that, cool. that was so touching and, and just, you know, I was already in love, but like all that did was made me love the man even more than I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you for letting me share that. Thank no, you thank you. Sharing thank that. you for like, sharing living vicariously through you over here that was exactly <laughs> it's very cool oh and by the way i do i do have the trailer um i have two clips from my episode when you guys want to share those so let me know. yeah definitely and now for a trailer for bbc's doctor who from big finish productions doctor who the sixth doctor adventures water worlds and ocean on the moon oh doctor i'm speechless you're still talking close as i get <laughs> brilliant does this belong to you are you part machine 
More like power action figure. I come with my own accessories. <laughs> Big finish for the love of stories. Where is it available for people to listen to? Because it's like the the yeah. So so this so it'll it's a full audio production. Mm-hmm. So there's music, sound effects, um, and it will be it's currently available for pre-order um, at bigfinish.com. Um, and if you check out my handle on Twitter at zombie tardis, I'm hugely obnoxious about it, and I will continue to be. As um, you should. It will be coming out sometime sometime in the month of May. Awesome. Um, and so I, I'm going to keep a lot of uh, uh, happy links there to it. Perfect. Um, but the title is called uh, Water Worlds, and it's a box set. I had to add it now because otherwise I would forget. Oh no! Very good. <laughs> and it's available. Uh, it's available as a CD box set or digitally. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I recently. Not to distract from all the awesomeness that we just had. No, 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 no. <laughs> I recently just rewatched Avatar The Last Airbender. And my yes. all-time favorite is Uncle Iroh. His oh, yes. wisdom and his joy in life has always been an inspiration to me. So what was it about Uncle Iroh that drew you to him? And tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write Legacy of the Fire Nation. Sure. Thanks, Nick. Um, that's... It was a really special thing to write. So, so uh, a dear friend uh, and comic book writer, Richard Hamilton, um, he, he's got a great series out there called Scoop. Um, and uh, he recommended me for what it's essentially an, a licensed book. And so the idea is uh, this one was a scrapbook format. And uh, the majority of it are letters from Iroh to Zuko. And so the way this works is, you know, it's, uh, I, I definitely wanted some experience working in other people's sandboxes. And it's absolutely the kind of thing that I was wanting to build a resume for this kind of work so that, you know, as things like Doctor Who came up, I was ready. Um, but for something that was just a job, it's like, I didn't know that it was gonna be from Uncle Iroh's POV. So when that kind of, when they were launching me on the premise of the thing, I was thrilled because he's my favorite character. And like the idea of somebody having, you know, that painful and darker history, but then, you know, making that choice to be someone who, you know, is literally just a font of love, (laughs) like love and knowledge and comedy. And, And so I really took that, uh, responsibility seriously. Um, and so, you know, when you're doing this kind of work, you know, you go back and you prep, right? So you re-familiarize yourself with the character. So I'd read some of the other spinoff material on comic books. I went back and rewatched a, a bunch of the series and in particular his episodes. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I felt like I understood where he was coming from. And when I first watched the series, I was not a father. Mm-hmm. And so now I felt like now that I'm a dad myself, it's like I, I understood even more about his relationship with Zuko as really an adopted son, not just uncle and nephew. Um, and so I just really connected. And then I think the best thing is like, I'm, I tend to be very over sentimental in my writing. And I think I shared last time with y'all that you know, I will pitch, you know, hugs to Dan and, you know, I, I pitch him three because c- I know who's going to cut two of them. <laughs> right? right. So, so, but, but I think in, in my heart of hearts, it's like, I know that the best way to kind of deliver that sweetness is to make sure that it's couched in comedy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's couched in something else. So I think the opportunity for Legacy of the Fire Nation was like, oh man, I can be really honest about the human condition and pain and I, you know, all of that stuff and your place in the world and the legacy you leave behind. But I can do it all with humor because it's Iroh. It's Iroh's point of view. Um, And so one of my favorite things, this is so stupid, Nick, so forgive me. So, uh, you know, so much of what I was able to share last time when we chatted and, and today even talking about like, 
you know, you have these long-term goals, right. That you work toward Mm -hmm. and you don't know how they're going to manifest if at all. Right. And I've been very blessed that I've had these opportunities and, and avatar represented a really interesting win. When I was trying to get work in the animation industry, this is like 2005, 2006, I was working in production as a PA on Shrek the third. And so I had my first job, but I wanted to get in as a storyboard artist. I wanted to get in as a writer. I wanted to be paid to be creative. And so I applied to a lot of different fellowships and opportunities. And one of those was for Nickelodeon. And so they were like, yeah, write a spec script for one of our shows. So I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to write a spec script for Avatar. And my buddy, Justin Ridge, who just got done show running uh, Resistance, Star Wars Resistance for mm. uh, Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was an assistant director on Avatar. And so I was kind of picking his brain about the show. And, um, and, you know, my favorite character was Sokka. So again, comedy, right? Comedy first. So, so I was like, oh, I ended up writing this spec. It's not very good. <laughs> but essentially it's about... Um, they find an, uh, a bender impersonator. So somebody who's actually used rudimentary technology to pretend to be a waterbender. And so there's like, you know, pipes and like an Iron Man style suit made out of bamboo and things. And- um, Did that all the time in the shower. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Watch me bend. Um, and, uh, oh, it's too hot. Um, and- uh, so, so uh, the idea oh. was for Sokka to meet somebody who he would idolize and then realize that him not having superpowers is okay. And so I wrote this whole story. It is all right. But, but I had this joke in it at the very beginning where Sokka is like razzing Aang about his wind bending. And he starts calling it how did he phrase it? Wind breaking or breaking wind. <laughs> and so I put a fart joke in my avatar spec. Why not? And actually, hold on. So 15 years later, if you look in the avatar book i actually put the joke in here there's a bit there's a bit in this so so yeah so don't throw anything away especially bad fart jokes so all all of you all of you uh hopeful writers okay let's see this here we go so page 49 so part of the Part of the concept of this scrapbook is, like I said, it's letters, a lot of letters from Iroh to Zuko and some back. And, and then for those who want to check it out, ooh, yeah. Let me see the Fire Nation. That's awesome. Uh, totally amazing uh, illustrations in here by Sora Medina um, that really make this book. Um, but there are also letters from Team Avatar in here and they, they write to Iroh. So bottom of 49, Hey, Zuko's Uncle Iroh. Katara's making me write this letter because she thinks she's our mother. Anyways, you're pretty funny for an old guy. And you're pretty old for a funny guy. Please stop making me drink your tea. Thanks for helping us out and being old or whatever it is Katara wants me to thank you for. Signed, the leader of Team Avatar for Life. No take backs, no erases, Sokka. P.S. Are you sure there's no bending for jokes? Or how about bending for gas? Or is that just breaking wind? That's awesome. Nice. <laughs> so so I, I felt vindicated in, in not having my script uh, accepted all those years ago and then got the chance to make that ridiculous joke and, and more importantly, write in the voices of these characters that I genuinely love just in a different format. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you read the thing, Nick? I have not, but I. It's on my to read list. Yeah, now. in your no, in your spare time. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to put you on the spot there. Um, but it it's like easily my 
my best reviewed thing that I've ever written. Like, I think there's over a thousand ratings on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And, and I think it's out of, it's been out of print once or twice. And then on Goodreads, like, and I usually don't look at this stuff for good reason. Um, but man, like I made a lot of people cry, you guys. Nice. <laughs> and, and I felt that's... like that was some accomplishment. Yeah. That's actually one of the books I, I keep saying I'm going to buy for my daughter because my daughter, Kendall, is a huge Avatar fan. Oh, awesome. And, and so I keep that's it's in my it's in my uh, to buy list. And I keep saying I'm going to buy that. And then I forget. So then you buy more Funko Pops for yourself instead. <laughs> Zing. I, wow. How's that under the bus there? Tim? I'm on Kendall's side, Tim. I'm pretty you, sure there's tire marks on my back. Yeah. I, you I, know, I, last time we had Josh on, you only had like 10 up there. <laughs> I, I know i was i was re-watching the, the episode before we did this today with you i want to make sure that i'm not saying the same thing and i'm like it was the i'm but current. i just i just got president loki yeah come on guys uh do you have a crocodile loki loki no but i need to i want that one pretty badly yeah, cool. you know so. i i give tim crap about his funkos but then i was actually shopping for a funko this morning so ha! oh dang do they do they have Suck a it, do loser. they have throg do they have frog? I I have not seen Frogler. Okay. I don't recall seeing it, but I'm. I, I'm currently in the market for the Ian Malcolm Funko. Oh, very nice. Yeesh. Because who doesn't want a Funko of Jeff Goldblum on their desk? Nobody that I know. Right. I, I want it. I know, right? Yeah. There's there's a couple of them because with Jurassic World, is it Dominion, the new one coming yep. out? They've released. Yep. Another, yeah, where they're gonna merge everything. They've released another Jurassic Funko set. Oh dang it! I know, I know. So then you've got the older Ian Malcolm, but yeah, then there's also the wounded Ian Malcolm from the original. Oh my god! Yeah, I want the Funko of Jeff Goldblum shirtless with Sam Neill listening to his chest. That's like the greatest yep. gift meme ever. It's like made. It, it. So it's it's the Funko is just him like draped with yes. his shirt open, and yeah, it, it's amazing. It's hilarious. I, I um, want one of him standing next to the giant poo pile. So, and he says that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh man, I want to watch. All right. Now. All right. So, Josh, <laughs> a lot has happened since the last time you're here. You have been a very busy fellow. We've talked about your Doctor Who project. Yeah. Apparently, apparently, you won an Emmy in there somewhere. Somewhere. Um, somewhere. Somehow, right? right? I don't know. Um, stuff like I don't that. know. Who, who? You know? Yeah. You know? We. Who can yeah, keep yeah. up with this stuff? Who? 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 Anyway. Who? Um, who? Uh, but oh. there is one project in particular I want to ask you a little bit about. Mm. Now, under now, understandably, there are NDAs, and you're limited as to what you can say. Mm-hmm. But as we talked about the last time you were here, we're big fans of Phineas and Ferb, Milo Murphy's Law, um, and we so we know that you're working now on on Dan Pavmeyer's new project, yeah. Hansel, uh, uh, Hamster and Gretel. Yeah. Um, but inside of your NDA limitations. Mm-hmm. Could you please tell us what the show is about and possibly when we might be able to start looking for it? So we don't. So so part of the struggle, as as I'm sure folks have shared with you. So even outside of the NDA is like we don't rate very highly on the updates arena. So so my uh, the current knowledge I have is that it's this year we're going to come out this year. Okay. Um, so fair so enough. People, people who get paid more than me get to decide all the specifics, um, and and certainly all signs point to probably on Disney Channel and on Disney Plus. Uh, but they, you know, that's not the kind of thing that they share with us. But I'd say based on like what they're doing with Amphibia currently and Owl House, uh, I think we'll probably follow uh, like in 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 like that. Um, okay. So I'm really optimistic, and, and I can tell you that I've seen a, a lot of color animation come back, which is very exciting. And we've been working on this show since uh, fall of 2020. Um, so finally getting to see kind of the fruits of, of everyone's labors uh, has been hugely satisfying. Um, I'm sure. And um, yeah, and then as far as the I probably can't say a whole lot. I will say that um, it is very much, uh, you know, in a superhero arena, mm-hmm. which okay. is really fun because I think that that 
um, you know, that's that's something that Milo and Phineas, to me, always felt like they were adjacent, mm-hmm. right? So like Doof is Doof is a mad scientist, but very much mm-hmm. super villainy. Right. And I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Perry is a superhero, but you know, He's and and certainly agent. we had. Oh, go ahead, Kathleen. He's a secret agent. He's pretty close to me. Yeah, he's pretty close, right? Yeah, superhero adjacent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so. I think within the realms of the sci-fi and fantasy, and certainly on, you know, Milo at the outskirts of that, it's like, you know, Milo is kind of superhero. And I think that when certainly when I was writing him, it's like that's that's part of what I was doing. Is right. is that, you know, I think I may have shared this with y'all last time, but like, you know, I really thought of him like John Connor. I, I thought of him like, yeah, if 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 some kid's going to be really adept at dealing with bad things, at some point, he's going to be responsible for helping save the world. And that is a superhero quality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really funny show. I think it's it, it does a really great job of splitting the difference between being really grounded and relatable. That's a lot of the conversations that we have is like making sure that the, the kids' stories feel like our kids these days. Right. Um, and then I think the certainly it I, I think it comes through on the promise of that kind of Phineas and Milo comedy okay. and wackiness. Plenty of songs. Perfect. We've we've got some great songs um, and uh, and uh, <laughs> like we're the characters are completely insane. There is there is I, I, I will share that. um hopefully Dan won't get upset with me or Joa, our amazing head writer. But um, like one of the things we've been doing in the writer's room is like, is this stupid enough? Like our bar is, is this crazy enough? Uh, um, that already makes me want to watch it more. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been super excited. Strive, for, this, strive for the silly. Yeah. Strive for the silly. Was that Kathleen? I've been super excited for the show since we heard. Oh, good. It. Even more so. Now that my three and a half year old has a hamster herself, oh, like I feel like this is going to go very, very badly in all of the best ways in my house. Oh yeah. So yeah, Disney's I, on a clock until the hamster can continue right? living. When I, I tell me that she needs to put a superhero cape on her hamster. That's awesome. Hamster is uh, absolutely hilarious, um, and. Uh, certainly in a Phineas and Ferb uh, Milo vein. I don't want to give too much away, but like no, you, no, will rec- you will recognize the archetype. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, it, and we have a really amazing uh, voice actor for Hamster. Um, I'm just looking at the picture on IMDb. It's just like the, the logo and Gretel holding Hamster. And I'm just even looking at that. I'm like, I can't wait. It's and and... And to be perfectly honest, I think that even just that image, I think that Dan did like that they were using as um, I'm hope I'm hopeful that we'll have more marketing and stuff materials um, soon. But, uh, you know, like I said, they, they're not uh, forthcoming all the time about that. But the sure. tone of that image is really accurate. It's OK, it's, cool. I mean, it's it. it I think it does a uh, surprisingly good job of of selling and explaining what the show actually is and and in some ways there's things about that that like we're trying to honor as writers like you know what if sometimes we'll get too far afield and it's like there's there's a core emotional element to that which is you know one of my favorite parts of the show i think i just love the way she's got her little hand held out with a hamster yeah it's it. so it's so adorable stoic look on the hamster's face yeah that's there's uh, there's a lot of stuff played on just that on hamster's face, expressionless face, and I I, I lose it every time. I like, I'm looking forward to it. Love it. It's because yeah. we've we we talked a little bit about it with Dan when he was here. I think we talked a oh, little good. bit about it when with you when you were here. Yes. Yeah. We talked with uh uh Swampy. Uh no, because Swampy Amber. Was, isn't, yeah, Amber. we talked with Amber. Oh yeah, uh, Amber about it. Yeah. Yeah, we talked with her about it, uh, you know, because she's and working Amber on the project as well. My, 
she yeah, yeah. Amber directed a couple of my episodes and she just yeah her and the storyboard team like just you know plus everything i gave them so yeah so i'm so we've been having this anticipation build for it over the last year with you know the couple of you different guys coming in and talking about it and i'm like so how about now? How about now? Is how about how, how about soon? How about now? <laughs> Are we there yet? Legitimately, exactly. More so I'm the... with my kid having a hamster. I'm like, this needs. I need this in my life. Well, I'm 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 hopeful. So there's this thing. So this is a little bit behind the scenes, but there is this thing that, depending on the show, sometimes Disney will leap in with the consumer products early. Mm-hmm. Or they wait to see how season one does. And I'm hopeful that this is something that Disney will get on board with sooner rather than later for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think particularly hamster is, is poised to be knock on wood, but poised to be breakout, mm-hmm. you know, and, cool. and uh, super, super funny. Soon. I'll tell you right now, Kathleen will totally buy a plushy hamster. <laughs> I have room. It's, yeah, it's done. I want it's, one too. It'll, it'll go too. next to my unicorn from Despicable Me. Nice. There you go. Hey, that's that's a classy company. Or, or it's so with, fluffy. It's so fluffy. With Luigi and, and Guido that I just got today. My camera's Oh, out. nice. Because I'm a grown-up who buys toys for herself. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Oh, wait. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> nice. I have. Yeah, I've got Ben and I've got Galactus over here. Ooh. And Reed. Nice. Yeah, I have. I have a Chekhov Funko up there. I have a tiny Light Bright. I have Bert and Ernie, but I have Lego Bert and Ernie because. Oh, nice. Fun. Yeah, I've got toys all over my desk. My daughter, every time she comes in here, can I play with that? No. What Honey, those are mom's toys. Those toys are, are not for playing. You have your own toys. <laughs> I play with these toys. <laughs> so I was once again um, scrolling through your Twitter for instance. Yes. On what to talk to you about today. Yes, yes. It, it doesn't, I, I promise it's research. It's not stalking. It doesn't sound as <laughs> But you recently, and this is where it gets a little creepier. I'm not going to say how recently. Um, you posted about decorating your notebooks because if oh, they yeah. too nice, you won't use them. Yes. Can you tell us more about your decorated notebooks? Because as a yes. another person who likes notebooks, it's just fun. So first, so let me, so I just posted about this today. That was why I wasn't going to say how Yeah, long. so here's, so here's my <laughs> notebook and it's covered in stickers. Oh, I love and, it. And so I, what I do, let's see if I've got any other ones. Here's another one. And we've got Vector Hold is one of my favorite bands. Yeah. And Camp Horror and hold on. I feel these sad are, and, these, and boring. These are really good. Stickers, Tim. Mine's sad and, and boring. Flashback video again. That's awesome. And Fright Rags, they do great horror T-shirts. I love them. Okay, cool. Um, but what I so what I do is I buy these for like $2 mm-hmm. and then decorate them. Because what I found is when I buy really nice stuff, I don't draw in it. I don't write in it. And it's funny because I've talked to a lot of other artists and writers about this, is that there is a thing where like you, you collect notebooks. Mm-hmm. You'll be out somewhere, you're traveling, you're, and like this, so this started, this is so, I'm so glad you asked about this, Kathleen, because this is so dumb. <laughs> when, I was a, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I have super vivid memory of like, okay, I'm going to the store. I got to go to the grocery store with my mom. Whatever's going on, right? We're in, a, we're in a store and I hate it. And I'm miserable because she won't let me go to the toy section, whatever. There's no time. But usually the stationary aisle is adjacent to something that we actually need. Mm-hmm. So I can effectively sneak just around the corner and stay within eyesight. And the stationary aisle has paper. It has pencils and pens. It has sketchbooks. So I would gravitate there. 
at a very young age because it was my only refuge in the store. It's like, if I can't go to the toy section, where am I going to go? Right. I can go to the stationery. So even now, as a 44-year-old man, I will do that. <laughs> so if, I, if I'm going grocery shopping, I will find myself in the stationery aisle just going, ooh, what are these books? What are these notebooks? I've built this habit for myself. Um, but like in college, like, uh, you know, we're supposed to fill a lot of sketchbooks as a part of our kind of training. And I would like, it would short out my brain sometimes where I would go and buy something that was, I was like, all right, I'm going to fill this up. But it was like bounded like a book and it was super nice. And then I would just go draw on single sheets of paper. Mm -hmm. And now obviously I could have just done what I wanted and maybe bound it later. But what I discovered is that this was a great in-between. If, if I mess this thing up and I put art and stickers on it and I draw all over the front, like we did when we would cover our books in grade school, right? Mm -hmm. And I would feel like it's okay for me to put my raw and kooky and crazy ideas in these notebooks. And what's funny is that when I share that with other people, they're like, I'm the same way. That actually, got... yeah. Yeah, totally. I did that it's... through school. I did that. Yeah. I still got random collections of half-used notebooks that I can't get rid of them because there's important stuff in them. Because there's but... stuff in them, yeah. But the but the ones it's but yeah, it does appear to be a fairly universal thing of like if you personalize it, you tend to finish it. And yeah, I've got I've got like really slick looking stuff and I've I did I did the first 10 pages. Yeah. But then this thing I feel like I can throw this in my bag, I can throw this in the car. Right. And like I'm not worried about it getting messed up. So, yeah, I think that, I think there is a, that nostalgia aspect of it, too, because as kids, of course, we decorated things with stickers and those never got destroyed. So if you still do that now, totally you still have that. Well, it, it's going to be fine. It's got stickers on it. Stickers will hold it together. Yeah, I am so putting stickers on this one now. Yeah, <laughs> you need to stickers because what I've been doing permission. Yeah, because what I do, you know, you, you talk about going in the store and going to the, um, you know, the, the, the notebook aisle or whatever. Um, I always find myself when I go to Walmart, I go to the clearance aisle and I oh, always yeah. look for yeah. notebooks. This was my last notebook that I picked up. The oh, Infinity yeah, perfect. Yep. So already it already it was all, in my opinion, was already stickered. So I was like, yeah, it's it's nerdy yeah. and it has all my nerd notes in it and, you know, things like that. So perfect. Perfect place to keep the nerd notes. Yeah, that's not too shabby. <laughs> so, Josh, you're a storyteller and we yes. love stories. Yes. So they have bloopers and stuff of actors. Are there some behind the scenes funny moments or blooper reel type things that happen in storyboarding or writing? Ooh, good question. Um, yeah, there, there can be. So like, um, you know, invariably things get cut. We've talked about that, right? So in the mm -hmm. world of animation, so like um, we try, we have an opportunity to be um iterative so things will get polished and trimmed and polished and trimmed and polished and trimmed so um you know dan and swampy kind of have this really great process and you know we're still doing it on um hamster but the idea is that you know you get notes at every step and when it gets into animatic we continue polishing and when uh the color comes back we continue polishing and, and adjusting so for instance, um, you know, in some cases we'll get extra mouths and um, <laughs> our editors will be able to then go in and manipulate the animation when we're still tweaking dialogue and still trying to make things better and funnier and punchier. Um, and, you know, from my standpoint, I think that's why a lot of those shows are as good as they are because we keep refining all the way until air. Um, so sometimes there's cool stuff that like gets cut, like not usually bloopers. Like, uh, so for instance, in uh, Night of the Living Pharmacists, I added this Escape from New York bit at the very, very end of the episode. So for those of you uh, who maybe hadn't seen it, but it's a zombie episode of Phineas and Ferb, and it was one of the first things I pitched when I joined the show um, and 
at the very end, you know, everyone is saved, spoiler alert. Um, and I wanted to do this thing where it turns out the tri-state area is actually walled and there are more pharmacists, zombies, on the outside. <laughs> and there's a bit where Perry shows up kind of a la Snake Plissken in an amazing truck. And he's going to go off and save the rest of the world from the remaining pharmacists. And if I'm not mistaken, so Kyle Menke, amazing uh, storyboard artist, he actually boarded the thing. And I believe it actually got animated. Um, and so for a time, they were talking about doing a box set for Phineas. And I think the Disney Plus thing kind of changed the plans. But that's one of the few bits that I know, like, actually is out there and exists and never made it to air. Hmm, okay. Um, Interesting. And then there's a lot of stuff that gets cut at the script and storyboard stage. Like, there's a couple things... Um, uh, there's a couple things in my Doctor Who script that I really, really was in love with um, that got cut. And they're, I think they're the kind of things that I'm probably going to save for another story. So sometimes that's what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I think the only times I really run into bloopers and I, and I love them. Like I'm such a huge fan of those. Like I'll watch those on YouTube and everything. Mm -hmm. Um but like when I, I, I have the opportunity to kind of sit in and record and you're hearing these things come to life, like, oh my gosh, it's so much fun when somebody improv improvises something or flubs a line. Um, but it is a, a hugely uh, uh, hilarious part of the process. And, and especially when like, and you don't want people to feel pressure. You don't want them to feel bad, but you know, like it, it's it's a human interaction part of this that can be so much fun and and i think there's also something about watching those clips that i always feel like is very inclusive like you you know seeing people break character it's like it feels it makes us feel like we're a part of the experience a little bit so i'm a, i'm a huge fan of those but yeah usually it's just the, it's the actors and like i said mm. man like they are they're such professionals even that doesn't happen very often Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and what you are doing? Sure. Um, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Zombie Tardis. So Z-O-M-B-I-E-T-A-R-D-I-S at Zombie Tardis. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, and I'm on um, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Zombie Josh is my professional page and then you can go to uh, bigfinish.com and search water worlds for my first doctor who story thanks for your links your social links we will put those in the comments thank you for sharing that trailer with us that's i'm super excited for this i'm i'm geeked because i'm a geek but that's yay that's <laughs> And so remember, guys, subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Josh Pruitt, who was willing to come back a second time to this madness. Uh, but we also get funny moments for you guys to be able to listen to and interesting conversations as well. So please subscribe. It helps out more than we can really ever tell you. And be sure to go check out Josh's work. Uh, there's some super cool stuff coming up. And apparently he, he wins Emmys when he's away from our show. So another reason to go check him out. <laughs> I was, I was and, like, go out, win an Emmy, and then come back. Exactly. And then win another one, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, and by the way, if you're not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, the Cybermen from Doctor Who. Sure, they're a bit murdery and like to kill anyone they see. But hey, when you're ticked off at your least favorite podcaster, are you really all that concerned with our health and welfare? Probably not. So bring your complaint on a USB thumb drive and if you can find the USB port on the Cybermen and then live to tell about it, they'll handle your complaint with extreme prejudice. Thanks again, Josh. My <laughs> pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Josh. I, this so, is awesome. I so appreciate it and, and would be happy to come back a third time. Uh, so yeah. this, this, thing will be out, this thing will be out in May. Uh, I've got a, predator, a story in a Predator anthology coming out in August now. Oh, um, awesome. And then obviously once the show's on for a bit, yeah, you know, then then maybe we can talk about that in the fall or something. Um, Done. I feel I'm, like I'm, 
Yeah. I feel like when Hamster and Gretel comes out and we will have our, our half co-host, the, the tiny version of the co-host, <laughs> come on and talk about it too, because I know she's going to love it and she's going to Oh man, that would be it. so fun. Oh my gosh. She's fun. She's fun to throw in and show every <laughs> yeah. once in a while. How, how old is she again, Kathleen? She's three and a half. So oh my goodness. by the time yeah. the show comes out, she'll be four about. So. Yeah, that's awesome so nervous yeah. about her getting excited and thinking that her hamster now has superhero abilities and like oh, chucking no! it across the room. <laughs> Fly! Oh my goodness. We'll, so. we'll, put, like, we'll put like caution warning on that episode. Don't throw your hamsters, kids. Please don't. Her, her hamster has somehow already um, figured out how to escape from his ball, but not Oh, yeah, people. okay. That's a so, thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a that That's was a thing. Well, I'm gonna uh, uh, Tim. I'm gonna go ahead and email you the trailer. Yes, please. Um, and uh, Nick and Kathleen, all of you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. My, it is my pleasure to be here. So, I'm no, we love here. having you on the show, Josh. Thank you for being here. Yeah, anytime. Thank you, guys. Take it easy. Best to you. All right, Josh. Take care, bud. Bye. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. Just imagine the comfort you'll give Redshirt Crewman number 85. You'll know that when he joins Joel, Mike, Crow, T-Robot, and Tom Servo in the experiment to see which bad movies are capable of destroying the human mind, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund passes back and what's left of his sanity. And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers. information about level up lightsabers and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below on behalf of the rest of the hosts of funny science fiction we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode if you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes please contact us by means of our facebook group funny science fiction you can find us on twitter or instagram using the handle at funny sci-fi or you can go to draytonallen.com and click the contact me link at the bottom of the page thanks again hope you enjoyed the episode <laughs>